Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This week's episode is one that I had been looking forward to for a long time. I am talking to Alice Twemlow. Alice's name comes up in other interviews all the time, and she was actually one of the first people on my list uh, of people that I wanted to talk to when I started the podcast. So I am so glad that we were finally able to have this conversation. She, of course, is a design writer, a critic, an educator, historian, uh, you name it. She was the co-founder and chair of SVA's Design Criticism Program here in New York and is now the head of the Design Curating and Writing Program at the Design Academy Eindhoven. And especially relevant to our purposes, she recently published the book Sifting the Trash, which is this really fascinating history of design criticism. In this episode, we talk about that book and how design criticism has evolved over the years. We talk about the collapsing borders between the various design disciplines and the value in having uh, what she calls a critical distance when writing about design. We also talk about how she got into all of this from her uh, family of designers to studying literature while she was in school. This was so fun for me. Alice's book was hugely influential to me when I was in grad school and working on my own thesis about design criticism. And if these topics are at all interesting to you, which uh, which I guess if you're listening to this, I, I imagine that they are, Alice's book is truly a must read. And I think this conversation is a really nice primer into her work and her interests. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the great Alice Twemlow. started this project you were one of the first people that I was really interested one of the first people that I kind of added to the list of someone that felt very important for me to talk to and as I've talked to all these other people your name is one of those name that names that just kind of comes up again and again and especially as I've gotten to know uh, the people at SVA and in the decrypt program um, mm. but I don't actually know much about your background or how you got into any of this and so I thought it, that would be a good place to start with just kind of where your interest in design came from. Yeah, sure. I um, Yeah, because I'm not a designer, as you right, probably right. figured out. So there, there we'll start with that. Um, I studied English literature at okay. university in England, in Bristol University. And but I come from a family of designers. My my mother and fa- my mother was an interior designer, and my father was a graphic designer. But mm. um, uh, much more involved in education. He was a graphic design professor. Okay. Is a graphic design professor still? And so I I'd always had design around, and I it was sort of part of the atmosphere, I suppose, of my, of my upbringing. Um, but I was really keen to rebel uh, <laughs> right. against that, uh, which sounds yeah. so ridiculous. And by going the nerdy route to going <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to university and, and studying um, a completely useless discipline, um, which was English literature. And then that, in the course of that, I gradually became I think what happened in my sort of revisionist history of the whole thing was I, I really got attracted to the visual um, 
mm. aspects of literature, you know, the emblem poetry, right. the frontispieces right. of books, the, the, the kind of typographic experimentation, the, 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 the crazy stuff going on in Tristram Shandy and things like that. That's mm -hmm. sort of, I noticed that's what kept coming to the fore for me. Um, I did things like, you know, edited the university magazine and got way more involved in the design of it than, than in the editing. <laughs> right. As it turned right. out. So there were there were a few clues along the way that I may be headed back toward design as a as a topic. And then I found um there was this brilliant master's course called Design History. I'd I'd mm. never heard of that discipline at the time. Um, and it was at the Royal College of Art and the Victorian Albert Museum. Okay. And as soon as I identified that, I basically put on blinkers and just set my sights toward it, uh, which oh, involved things. Yeah, just kind yeah. of, you know, I volunteered at the museum at, um, in Bristol and sort of, I think I ended up cataloging the Yolica pottery tile. <laughs> you know, very yeah. beautiful. Yeah. All in the name of uh, decorative arts, and um, anyway, I got onto this this uh, masters, this MA um, in in the history of design, uh, and yeah, I fell in love with it as a as um as a mode of of engaging with design, uh, being very very close to design, um, because I was at the Royal College of Art, sort of right. you know, situated mm -hmm. amid the making, and I was very uh, involved, you know, in everything going on in the graphic design department, especially. Uh, I catalogued all their posters for them. And, you know, I was just oh, very close to, to the making, the, the letter press workshop with Alan Kitching, all of that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And um, was just so thrilled to discover there was these methods and tools and mm -hmm. sort of modes of analysis that you could deploy to understand design or, or to, to try and give it meaning and, and let it speak. And, um, yeah, it was, that was sort of, I, it's really, I mean, yeah. that, that is, that's such an interesting answer actually. And I feel like I have another 10 questions from that, <laughs> that I was not planning, uh, to ask you, but I, I want to pick a couple things out of that quickly if we can. Uh, and one thing that's interesting is I didn't, I didn't know that you had, your kind of original background was in, in literature and something that's been interesting in talking to so many people now is how many of the design writers that I like uh, got into writing or stumbled into design through literature courses. And, and I'm thinking people like Alexander Lang or, or Michael Rock or Rob G and Petro all said essentially the same type of thing, uh, which I think is just curious. I don't know if I really have a question there other than uh, yeah, it, that it's interesting. And it's, it's an interest I've pursued and I, I don't know exactly what the causal connection is either, but there's certainly this really cool resonance between yeah. work and design and, and you just, they exist very happily together. And um, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm also drawn to those people who value that correspondence as yeah. well. I, 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 I don't know how to ask. I don't want this question to sound bad. And I'm always hesitant <laughs> when I talk to people who are design writers uh, who are not practicing designers. Um, but I'm curious, did, was that that just was never something that was interesting to you to actually be a designer? You, it sounds like 
your the hook for you was was finding the the historical side of it um well the academic discipline that i identified was the mm. historic side of it okay um i ended up mutating that or, or sort of customizing it i suppose uh, i i veered very quickly toward the contemporary okay. and the very and the very recent history of design so my thesis that on that course i mentioned was about the um uh, the, the the graphics and title sequences and set designs for a, a early um, pop program on on the BBC. Um, sorry, not on the BBC on <laughs> Associated Rediffusion. It was called, um, and it was called Ready Set Go. Um, okay. And so that was in the sixties. So that's kind of uh, historically, I work from the sixties onwards, basically. Mm. So, um, okay. Uh, so, so that was. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm not in that. Well, anyway, right, history right. was pretty important to me, but it wasn't the hook. Um, whether or not to be a designer, do you know what? It hasn't really ever resurfaced for me. I'm. I'm. There's just way too much to do with <laughs> right. what I'm doing. I, I really appreciate really, really good designers, and I like to sit alongside them. And I think that's sort of what's different and interesting, maybe, about me is. Um, you may have discovered. I don't know if you've talked to Rick Pointer yet. Uh, not, not yet. He's he's obviously on my list, but right. But there is a type of critic uh, or, or a mode of criticism that he espouses, which is really very much about critical distance, mm. um, which is very much like you. How can you? And this kind of relates back to your initial quandary of, you know, can I can I operate a practice as a designer working for companies like Facebook? Right. While also being a credible critic of, you know, right. that kind of <laughs> right. yeah. thing, um, I quite like this notion of critical proximity. That that it's interesting to me mm-hmm. to 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 be embedded and to be close to it and to have to wrestle with those, um, yeah, the the problematics. I think of of design close up. Right. Uh, so. Mean- yeah. Oh no. So, keep, so go ahead. I, that, no, just to finish off the thing of, uh, you know, um, it's never been. Oh, I should, maybe I should have been a designer. I never, I never thought that. But I, I do feel like I want to be close to them, and I feel odd when I'm not. Right. Um, can I just give you one example? So I yeah. moved to Amsterdam recently, and we'll get to that, I'm sure, in the in the course of things. But yeah. one of the first jobs I had was at um, Vre University, which is mm-hmm. a uh, yeah very good university and it's um uh, has a design studies um department masters um and so i was like oh fantastic this is gonna be great and quickly signed up to teach there and you know um but it was so weird and sterile and Mm. bizarre to me to be operating in a kind of uh, university uh, context like that, so divorced from the practice of design, right. I, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of it. Um, so that's how I operate. Basically, is is like where I am now, working at Design Academy Eindhoven, or working at um, the Kabuke in the Hague, which is right in the middle of an art design school. Yeah. And that's basically where where I'm happiest, as it turns out. So. I mean, that, 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 that actually kind of sets up two other questions that I had. And so I'm going to kind of 
give you both of them and you can answer them how you want because we might be skipping around your <laughs> your story a little bit. Um, but I was I, I was kind of I wanted to to jump back to when you were studying literature. Did you think? Were you, what were you thinking you kind of wanted to do at that time? Were you thinking you were going to be a writer or an academic kind of back then? Or, or what was that kind of initial plan or, or kind of initial goals at that point? Oh, God, no. I wasn't clever enough or strategic enough to have a plan. To <laughs> okay. Right, right. Listen. I have such admiration for my current students who, who seem to have these kind of roadmaps. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was doing literature because I loved it. Okay. That's as far as that really is. I mean, um, and then mm-hmm. sort of started to piece together a, a sense of a, of, of a path. But um, um, no, I didn't. I definitely didn't want to be an academic. That was okay. part of my still thinking. That's PhD much later, and it sort of came out of the of the. So just to go back to when I graduated from. Um, that course, the history of design, and I said I was getting more interested in contemporary design. Mm-hmm. My first jobs out of out of that program were to uh, was to work as a design journalist, you know, in London right. for a magazine called um, <laughs> sounds so clunky, but um, Graphics International. Oh uh, yes, which was a thing, and. Um, uh, but oh, I was super excited. I was sort of, you know, I had a beat and I was, um, you know, writing articles and news articles and profiles of designers and I, and I was really happy doing that. Um, and then, uh, you know, moved to New York, sort of got deeper and deeper into writing and it was it was just through the enjoyment and, of the research mm-hmm. and writing uh, that led me to want to do a PhD and to further a kind of academic trajectory. Okay. Um, so it, it, it sort of came late. My, okay. My plan. <laughs> so, okay. So, so before we get to that part, I just want to, f- I, I know that there are kind of other pieces to this, but I want to fill in two things specifically, and especially something that you mentioned earlier. And I kind of want to talk about, oh. I'm curious kind of where teaching came in. And I'm also when you were talking about the kind of critical distance, that's something that's really been interesting to me as I talk to so many people from the decrypt program at SVA is how, how many of those students are either kind of formerly practicing designers or still practicing designers, that there is that closeness that's been really fascinating to me. Uh, and so I guess, I guess that's kind of two parts of the question is kind of where the teaching part fits and then specifically uh, SVA and Decrit and kind of those initial uh, goals for that program when you started that. Sure. Well, you know what you just described. You know that the, the, the student body that um, I selected that was um, design sensitive mm-hmm. at, at, at the very least, and then <laughs> uh, or practicing as a designer, um, as the case was in some cases, um, was not easy. You know, I mean, it was very problematic, I think, for some of them. I don't think it was, um, or is, you know, it continues to be a struggle, but it's a struggle I think is really interesting and and enriching. And so it's not like, um, well, I don't have a magic formula for fixing it. (laughs) Uh, Your initial conundrum, I think, underlies 
and will continue to underlie <laughs> a lot of, um, of the interesting work. And I found out that was the same in, when I was researching the history of design criticism. Yeah. Um, those same struggles, uh, you know, uh, about where to position yourself in relation to practice, in relation to the uh, design as subject matter. Um, how far you need from it in order to reflect upon it, you know, right, is a continuous right. kind of um, uh, 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 debate. Yeah, just just to sort of go for the teaching idea, I discovered that, you know, again, looking back, I realized it, it felt very, very, very natural to me. And I realized that, in fact, all my family were teachers as well. And mm. um, my grandmother was a cello teacher. Um, and at the Royal Academy of Music in London and even got an OBE for it. Um, and my uncle and my uh, aunt were, you know, violin teachers. My grandfather was a violin teacher and my dad is a teacher. So I, I just think there's a through line there right. that just puts me very naturally in that in that role. Um, so I started teaching straight away out of my um, MA and um, okay. sort of built on it over the years um, just got deeper and deeper basically right. now deeper it was really when it all kicked off in a big way because it was a wonderful moment <clears throat> when I decided to do the PhD so I decided to kind of reorientate myself mm. um, back towards academia mm -hmm. back towards London uh, back towards the history of design discipline all of that mm -hmm. uh, and then at that very same moment Steve Heller um, who probably also figures in a lot of your conversations. Yes, yes, yes. And he was one of my first, one of my first uh, interviews, actually. Good, I'm glad. It should be. Um, he gave me a phone call and asked me to, you know, set up a... Well, at that time, what he was thinking was a MA in design history and criticism. Mm. Or maybe it was just even history. I don't know. But anyway, I my 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 recommendation was I would love to do it, and but but I think I I advocated skipping the history part, as I felt that was being done so well already um, by other programs. Right. Um, but I felt it was design criticism that was missing, and mm -hmm. this was at a moment. This was actually just this was two thousand seven, so this was just before everything crashed and burned right. and exploded. <laughs> right. uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, before uh, the foundations upon which that program might have been based were, were taken away from us. But anyway, it um, in fact, it turned out to make it way more interesting. Um, but I felt at that time that design criticism was gaining in volume yeah. and in breadth, but not in depth, you know. So right. what, what my task, as I saw it with that program, was to... Uh, refine it really to a large extent i mean expand it definitely in terms of uh imaginative outputs you know that's always been something yeah. i've been very interested in and the range of stuff we talk about and all that kind of stuff but refine it in terms of its qualities and really taking the time to teach the skills and tools i saw as necessary to uh, a kind of robust rich you know variant of criticism yeah. So were you, was that first kind of cohort of students, uh, were you looking for designers? I kind of want to come back to this question mm -hmm. about the kind of relationship and the proximity. And I'm kind of curious who you were looking for, uh, but then also who were the types of people that were interested in the program 
you know, back 10 years ago now. God, don't say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't looking for designers. I was looking for um, a really good dinner party table, you know, like yeah. a really great array of ages and genders and interests and right. attitudes, commercial to, you know, you just, yeah. I just wanted a, a crazy mix. Um, but what happened with that first cohort, I think, and what I loved about it was for many of them, just like me with that design history program, when I found it, I got the sense, or at least this is what they told me was that this was the thing they'd been waiting for or all, right. all, all their life almost, you know, until mm -hmm. someone named it and put it out there, they didn't necessarily know, Yeah. but so, suddenly there was a thing called design criticism you know, MA and well, then it was an MFA. Um, and so the first person to contact me is a really uh, indicative person, I think, um, that sums up some of the stuff about the course. And that was uh, Frederico Duarte from Portugal. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I remember he sent me a little email just going, yep, this is it. I think it was a tiny little announcement in Metropolis magazine, something like that. And he mm. found it and was like, I'm coming over. Yeah. <laughs> And sure enough, he did. He, he got himself a Gulbenkian grant and uh, <laughs> arrived. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. And, 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 and literally just just ate it all up with such gusto. Um, and, you know, has gone on to do great things since then. Um, that he, he's very typical, I think. Yeah. Um, and he was um, trained as a designer and was teaching design. Um, but... But, you know, uh, I think the kind of qualities I was looking for was the curiosity and the passion and the um, the criticality about, you know, design and its implications. And he had all of that in heaps. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, this is actually really interesting to me in that, you know, the program started in 2007. And so I was in my undergrad then. And I just recently just a uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, a month ago or so, I just recorded my 50th episode and it was with uh, Michael Beirut who interviewed me. He kind of turned the tables and and asked me about why I cared about design criticism. And, you know, I, I kind of grew up in high school reading Design Observer and Speak Up. And, and he asked me if I was kind of conscious of that as criticism at the time. And I, mm -hmm. I said no. You know, I think I just liked that people were talking about this thing that I liked. And I was trying, since then, I've been trying to figure out when did that term design criticism kind of enter into my interests. And I think it might have been, I remember when that, when the program launched and seeing that, and I'm now thinking that's, that was kind of a revelation to me as a, you know, 18, 19 year old at the time thinking, oh, that's the kind of thing that I'm want to read and write someday. Uh, and I don't know if I made that connection Good. until right now. Um, I, <laughs> That's great. I, I, I want to I talk about the book a little bit because I think all of your, all of your answers have been, have been so hard for me to follow up because you, you set up all these other questions that I have. Um, and so I think the book is a great way to kind of set up the rest of the conversation because I actually read a, a, the dissertation version of it, the PDF that was online. Um, when I was in grad school and it actually became a, a, a very good resource for me 
in my own research about design criticism. And so I'm kind of curious, I, I, I don't want this question to sound too reductive, but I'm, I'm very interested in your kind of process and framing of, of the book and looking at design history, design, the history of design criticism, how you began to start thinking about telling that story. Mm. Um, well, thank you for reading it. And um, I think you can probably tell that I came to it from um, a literary perspective, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the sense that I was, um, well, there were, when, when I was analyzing the written forms of criticism, you know, I, I do think I'm drawing there on my experience in, in English literature and using, um, you know, analytical techniques that belong to literary analysis. So I, I think it sort of all ties together in that respect. Um, but my initial premise, I think, was that design criticism um, maybe, you know, maybe this is my hypothesis, um, had always existed um, in multiple formats beyond the written word, you know, yeah. um, and I wasn't quite sure how to research that, but that was my my feeling, and um, um, I was interested in, well, I guess really testing that, you know, did, right. did it, can criticism be um, communicated and and in, um sort of folded into the, the narrative of an exhibition or, or right. into the fabric of a, of a designed object or, or um, uh, yeah, or a conference in, right. in the case of the aspect. So, so, so that was definitely part of it. Um, and it was a, I did exactly what you're not supposed to do with a PhD, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is you're supposed to pick a really, really, really small thing um, or right. phenomenon tiny little time frame, um, tiny little, you know, regional location, and then extrapolate the wider implications from that. I right. did it absolutely wrong, and I would never advise any of my students <laughs> ever again. I took on this huge, sprawling task of, you know, kind of surveying an entire, you know, half century. Right, right. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I, I wouldn't say my process was particularly um, uh, scientific, uh, as it turned out. Um, but what I devised as, as one way in was to try and locate um, points in that history, I'm putting that in quote marks here, mm -hmm. um, that I thought were ruptures right. or, or disruptions to the way things were normally done, you know, upsettings of the status quo mm -hmm. um, and using that as a way to kind of identify moments of, of contestation because that's what, that's what I thought, you know, that the discourse around criticism then would be more apparent and more self-reflective at right. those moments. So that's really, uh, yeah, one aspect of my methodology. <laughs> Uh, I um, but yeah, I, I don't like talking about it. I suppose. But, but you know, I mean, it was yeah, a lot of it was just kind of. Um, oh, sorry. One more thing I should mention about my my process that you relate to is I just love interviewing people and yeah. I love um, really, you know, kind of surfacing insights about 
this practice of criticism through conversation and yeah. uh, repeat conversations and 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 that was my, one of that's a method um, and and one of my favorite aspects of, of of doing that research. Yeah, I mean that totally comes across in 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 the book too. Is how many how many of the voices that you quote came out of. Uh, personal conversations, which I, I, those were some of my favorite parts were when you were kind of sitting talking to these people. Did, did, did writing that and researching that change how you thought about design criticism today? Yeah, it, it was tricky, <laughs> I must say, because, uh, yeah. and I, I thought about this recently because I, um, it wasn't so much what I thought about design criticism saying, but I was teaching it at the time. Oh, right. So I was in a very sort of, you know, conflict of interest kind of situation where um, I wonder to what extent I was searching for the kind of history that would support um, right. Right. The, my style of teaching and, and the way I was um, uh, interpreting criticism today. You know, and, yeah. and 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 vice versa. I wonder if I was taking those principles, um, you know, from a very contemporary situation of of media implosion, and and using that as a sort of um, tr sort of tracking that back in a historically suspect <laughs> way. Yeah, um, I don't know if I actually did that, but I I wonder, I wonder if that was, you know. It, there as a sort of dilemma um, for me as I was going through um, and how it made me think about design criticism today. Well, yes. Well, okay. I think, I think basically what I ended up uh, deducing is just that there is this generally accepted um, opinion or, or sort of notion that there was a golden heyday of criticism right. that once existed in a perfect state and it's just been in decline ever since. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's this yeah. notion there being this this fantastic sort of centralized conversation and um, you know um, appointed um, public intellectuals who mm -hmm. who were able to to lead that conversation in meaningful ways. And you know to a certain extent that that narrative does bear out. Um, but within design criticism specifically, I'm not sure. I, I feel that it's always been a very fugitive enterprise, I think is a phrase that I, yeah. I, I use. Yeah. Um, and it's always been quite dispersed. And, um, you know, I mean, certainly there was, there was certainly more of a central conversation than there is today. And I do, it, it is in a bit of a... Uh, the mess that we have now, I sometimes find very energizing because I sometimes think, yes, this is this is exactly the kind of chaos in which new yeah. things are formed, and we need this, you know, in order to break it all down so we can build it all up again. And right. you know, so I, sometimes I get very energized by by the the, the the sort of dispersed nature of the critical conversation today, but at other points I just get exhausted. Yeah, I don't know how you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I that. This is something that I think about a lot, and I, I, I often, when I listen back, I, I, I recently listened back to some of my early episodes for, for something else that I was doing, and, and realized how many times I would kind of make comments about 
wanting more design criticism or more design writing and then realizing that there's actually kind of more people talking about this stuff than ever before uh and 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 how how you something that i i've been thinking about a lot is how do you kind of parse out what is the stuff that's even worth talking about you know because not every piece of design needs to have you know a, a kind of focused critical response no, exactly. It's a, but today I think it's so much as in all aspects of life. It's about the filters and it's yeah. about the the um, the lens that you shape in right. order to um, you know to kind of extract the you know the the particular um, ingredients that that you want for your for your intellectual kind of stuff. Right. I mean, and I'm I, I wonder. I, I, this is a question uh, that I'm asking you because you've kind of studied the history. Um, but something that I think about a lot or, or sometimes feel like I don't even I, I have no proof of this is that graphic design criticism in relation to the other design criticisms or design, uh, other design disciplines, the criticism around them is that graphic design often is, is just uh can sometimes be superficial and can sometimes just be talking about the way, uh, you know, a logo or a poster looks where things like architecture or industrial design often will deal with economics and kind of place. And so one, my, my first question is kind of, is that a false assumption on my part? And then I'm kind of also curious how you think about the relationship between the different types of design and the criticism around them. Um, sure. Um, yeah, I think that is a false assumption. I do think that um, there is a very, you know, because I sort of started out by knowing more about graphic design criticism, and then I've gone right. more toward product design criticism right. and, and other things. And and I think there's a particularly a rich seam of um, of discourse around graphic design. Um, I think I know the kind you're referring to, though, when it's sort of, um, you know, there is a danger because graphic design is the most ephemeral of the right. design disciplines that, that it's that it's kind of commentary and critique ends up the same way mm-hmm. um, and has to operate at that same speed. But if you, you know, some of the people you've been interviewing and mentioning are, are coming from um, from graphic design discourse specifically. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm still very interested. I, I certainly haven't uh, given up on that at all. Um, in terms of, well, well, let me, can I tell you a little bit about the stuff I'm into right now? Yeah, Is yeah, that, of course. That was one of my uh, later questions. So, yeah, let's talk about it now. I'm really mucking up the question, but, but it's just <laughs> to just elaborate on that a little bit. Because yeah. um, I think I don't really see it in terms of these discipline silos so much anymore. Right. And I don't know that we we have to, because because the magazines don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, you know, there is just, you know, we have to acknowledge this sort of interdisciplinary um, momentum. Right. Um, I just see it much more of a blur. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, I agree. I'm the same way. Design and its 
implications mm. and those are very enmeshed whether it's you know um the graphic design or the urban planning um or or you know the the the, the, the shape of the objects within it they all very much relate to me and i'm not sure that you can distinguish them particularly right. yeah um so the stuff i am into at the moment and and it's it's led out of the book so um okay. i i you know, I wrote this this history of design criticism, and I found there were these two metaphors, right, for for kind of um, dealing with this huge wobbly body of work. And then one was this idea of um, the critic as um, as a sort of diagnoser of sickness, the sickness right. of society, right. and design's complicity therein. And and you know, the critic was a, a, in some respects a, a homeopath or a doctor or a, yeah. um, a medicine man there are these kind of these 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 terms echo through the work I was looking at but the other thing that sort of really gained traction for me is this idea of the critic as a sifter of the trash right. as a gate between uh, um, you know the production of design and its and its ultimate demise in the landfill the deciding what's treasure what's trash what's in what's out you know what the, the shifting and negotiating of value. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- that just was a metaphor um, for me, and and one that I identified in so much of the writing and and um, writing plus yeah. <laughs> of, of criticism I was engaging with. Um, but then I've actually really started to get interested in trash itself, in mm. the, in the physical manifestations of of and the meanings of trash. Mm-hmm. How we how, how trash is conceived in the popular imagination um, and how it relates to climate change, to the Anthropocene and right. right. right now. Right. The, you know, all that stuff. Is, and, and once you get to that level and once you start looking at things in terms of geological time and all these super interesting things like Timothy Morton's hyper-objects and all of yeah, that, yeah, yeah. disciplines and stuff like that seem completely meaningless. You know, <laughs> right. they really, they really... Right. Right. This stuff that, that used to be, yeah. you know, individual logo and stuff like that. It's not. It's it's much more part of a sort of really complex social, political, environmental phenomenon that we have to tackle um, using all the tools and skills we can get from the humanities, social sciences, and, and everywhere. So so that's where I am at the moment, sort of on a yeah. maybe a, you know, a bit meta or something. But, yeah, yeah. not so not so bothered is it graphic design or not you know yeah no i i am 100% on board with that i feel like that's definitely the direction where i'm headed and how i've started to think about a lot of this stuff also and that actually really uh nicely leads into my few kind of final questions to lead into the end um cuz a question that i ask everybody that I talk to, and you kind of started answering it already, is what are the the issues or topics that designers or design writers or critics should be talking about and writing about today? Mm. Um, well, uh, you know, <clears throat> this sounds like uh, <laughs> when I have to do my sort of uh, thesis brainstorming sessions with my <laughs> students, you know, yeah. I talk about urgencies and, um, um, but we always do start with, um, what, what is, per- you know, very, something very personal, um, 
try and find that sort of personal connection to to the topics that, that surround us um and then we go out from there and yeah i mean for me it really does all right now i'm in a, in a not a bubble but a kind of really a, a concentration of focus on on environmental issues and that's mm-hmm. that's really what i'm super interested in right now so yeah. for example in recent weeks I've been examining um, the notion of repair Mm. in relation to design you know uh, to what extent can we build repair into um, our design and and it often gets talked about just in terms of products and objects but I mean I'm talking about digital and all all aspects how you know our houses our infrastructures our our, our, our urban plans um, just sort of really uh, tackling this notion of getting rid of this notion of the closed design right. product right, right. right. This, this this finished completed um solution of, yeah 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 I'm very anti-solution i love that i love that <laughs> so um uh so yeah repair was one of the things that uh, i think is a very interesting uh knife to kind of cut into the subject matter i've been going what have i went to last week i went to a really interesting seminar um on nuclear waste um because i do think that's a massive massive issue in terms of uh storage signaling and again you know another way in which all these disciplines kind of meld into one combined effort it's a perfect example of a wicked problem isn't it so um things like that that's through an environmental humanities um research center which i'm finding a very interesting and useful way into design mm-hmm. uh, or at least it's a place where i can bring a fresh perspective onto design um so, uh, yeah right. it's, it's a good new set of tools basically environmental humanities um so things like that things like um yeah i mean just the the the, the excess of stuff the yeah. um, I, you know there's just so many topics i can't even yeah. some of the things um my students are looking at are really cool at the moment like um one student just did a great project about uh the porta potty um mm. as a sort of totemic symbol of the problems of um sanitation in south african informal settlements um so she took the object very literally you know and looked at its its history as a sort of camping uh you know leisure item from like you know from the u.s and it's recreation in in these um the new context of a of a South African informal settlement, and then um, and all of its inadequacies, and then how it's become symbolic of a sort of protest movement. Um, oh wow! So things like that, you know, yeah. anything like that, like a sort of a, a, a aspect of design that gives you a three sixty, that gives you the ability to reflect upon society in a you know hopefully mm-hmm. meaningful and and illuminating way are the topics i think we should be looking at yeah um and it, maybe that could be a new logo maybe it could <laughs> right, right right it really does depend on how you do it yeah. so i guess it's not the subject matter but um so much as the approach and the questioning but yeah that's that's just some of the things i i i love um, that that's a that was a great uh great answer my Final question for you. It's kind of a two-part question, um, but I'm interested in 
I'm, I'm curious kind of who are the the writers or the critics who have really influenced you and your work uh mm-hmm. and then also the people that you're reading now who are kind of influencing these things that you're thinking about now or people that you know if you were to give a reading list to, you know to me or to, to to the listeners who who's on that list sure um well the people who have influenced me um I would say it's it's actually a really wide range of writers and they often tend to be from the literary sphere, I suppose. I mean, one that I always end up coming back to is uh, Nicholson Baker. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had him speak at one of our conferences and it was literally one of my best moments at Decret when I got to of introduce him and and uh oh yeah i watched that i remember that i watched that i watched the vimeo video of that yeah yeah and he had that brilliant sort of um meditation on the wrapping of a glass i forgot all about that yeah and he had this idea of wrapping um objects in words and it was just could have listened to them all day. Yeah. So that kind of um there's one essay in particular I, I I sort of always hold up as a I think pretty genius example of design criticism is uh it's about the nail clippers. Mm-hmm. Um and you know he because <clears throat> we haven't really got to this but one of the things I think really underpins good um criticism is is research and um you know i often think that's overlooked or not understood how that works or you know um but when you you see evidence of that in a piece where he he, you know he visits the factory where the nail clippers are made this incredibly beautiful exposition on their making and so it's just it well yeah you have to read it it's great it's called nail art um so there's that kind of writing and then you know, I suppose most of us return back to Raina Bannum and I right. yep. I really do enjoy and have fed from his his curiosity and his um his spirit, you know, that that, that sense of openness that, that 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 you can meditate on the nature of a crisp packet. Right. Um to 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 you know, to, to great effect. And um I think we take that very for granted now that we have that in design way more than, than other disciplines, but you know, we have that appreciation and um, the everyday has been normalized right, for us right. as a topic. And, um, but in fact, that was pretty revolutionary. Um, and then in the book, the one that I really, really enjoyed getting to know and understand was this, was this uh, woman, Deborah Allen, the, uh, oh, right. One of the editors of um, Industrial Design Magazine in the 50s, and she was a car critic, car reviewer. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I just like the whole package there, the fact that she was a mom of five kids and, you know, she was just this sort of quite sassy New Yorker. And <laughs> right. Just, you know, just, just her whole thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really yeah, yeah. It. I love that. Um, but I'm not going to go list that, listing those because they're, they're quite sort of, scattered and um but can i i will get to the reading list thing in a minute but can i just make another point that just occurred to me yeah of course (laughs) i'm just thinking about it um when you were saying in the beginning your sort of initial quandary this idea of um yeah just just the spectrum right between between sort of 
evil commerce and, <laughs> and sort of, uh, I don't know, benign criticism, which is not the case at all, um, to how you figure it out. And I, I do think that's such an interesting question and all the different strategies people have deployed, right? Yeah. And so many of us have ended up in a in an academic setting, in a, in a university, and I, I, it's not devoid of problems at all. And it's arguably you can track the you know as in the wire follow the money kind of thing yeah you, you can track it back just as much um within a university uh as you can within a commercial setting but um it does allow for certain things and one of the things that i feel helps us with this is um is the practice of research yeah you know yeah. Pra- yeah. and you know it can be frame many ways but as a designer if you do um practice oriented research that is research that's conducted through the tools methods media materials and um Mm -hmm. sensibilities of design specifically um that's a pretty interesting realm and i i do think it allows something different from the binary that you're setting up between criticism and 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 commerce or, or practice you know yeah yeah i yeah. found it to be very helpful yeah yeah and i i i i think that that's a great way to put it and i feel like as i've talked to more people and have kind of come out of the other side of of graduate school now that that's increasingly the way that i am seeing this and that that, that criticism and practice are not actually uh not necessarily opposing uh points of view at all and can actually really do come together and, and I, I think practice-based research is kind of the great intersection yeah. of those in a lot of ways so yeah I, I think you're exactly right yeah. so that's what I'm uh, the my new role is uh, in <laughs> call it in in uh, Holland the um, design lectors it basically means mm. um, well they translate it as professor but it's not really professor I think it's closer to being a reader um, but I get to set up my own research group basically at this really great art school called um, the Royal Academy of Art in The Hague oh, wow. and I'm doing it around this notion of design in the deep future mm, um, I love that already I think, yeah, anyway. but, and what I'm hoping that that allows for is just a reconsideration of time in relation to design um, so that we maybe can get out of this sort of the speed problem, <laughs> right. you know, of, right. of the, um, uh, you know, a, a, a factory conveyor belt straight onto press release, straight into landfill situation. Right. So just sort of reconceiving of things through these uh, layers of uh, geological time and, and cosmic time and all of these cool stuff. That that's what that's sort of what I'm I'm grappling with at the moment so that's kind of where my reading is 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 based um on on lots of stuff about geologists and people and you know the stratification um society um what are they called again there's it's a body of of scientists that basically get to decide which geological era we're in stratigraphic that's it stratigraphic yeah yeah. so they're the ones who've made the recommendation that we are actually officially in the anthropocene and probably have been since the 1950s um so that i'm i'm reading those reports at the moment um brian phil 
uh, is an English literature professor. Okay. Uh, who wrote a fantastic little book called Waste, which I keep coming back to. Oh, okay. Um, which is a really good summary of, of a lot of these concerns. Uh, Timothy Morton, who I mentioned before, mm-hmm. um, Hyperobjects. Um, I don't know. I should go to my desk and see what's piled up. <laughs> <laughs> in anticipation of reading, yeah. uh, I think I've just been flicking through the Mark Weekly and Beatrice Palomina. Oh, yeah. Human. I love that book Pretty. so much. Yeah, because they, and again, they have a sort of great, great section on kind of archaeology mm-hmm. and, um, you know, this, that, that. This, yeah, this stuff opens up ideas for me. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, really like that. the the Mark Wigley and Beatrix Kalamina book. I'm listeners are probably tired of. I feel like I bring that book up in every episode. So, <laughs> so, so first of all, I'm glad that you brought it up this time. Uh, <laughs> but, but that has set me off on all sorts of different uh, kind of research tracks that I was not doing before I read the book. I don't know, maybe six months ago or so, and just has completely <laughs> changed a lot of the things that I'm thinking about. I, I love what they're doing right now. Yeah, and I think they have a good ability, and I I take issue with with some of it. They're a little cavalier. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, about some of our precious design things, right? right? Of course. But, but it is useful to get to get that sort of um, it's like the powers of ten. Yeah. That smart view of That's, design, and they really yeah. um do help us see it from um. Yeah, a, a less pre- precious perspective, I suppose. Yeah, um, that's a great and, way to put it. Yeah, and they it, they see it at, they help us see it as entangled as it actually is, and uh, and I yeah I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, I I love that. I think that's a, that's a great way to to kind of kind of wrap this up. Thank you so much yeah. for talking with me this was so fun i'm looking over my my notes and we've covered basically everything that i was kind of wanting to to ask you about and i'm glad we finally got to do this and it was it was really fun for me so thank you so much good you're great you have such a good radio voice as well <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> no, no wonder you ended up doing this it's perfect <laughs> oh thank you thank you so much all right it's um, a real pleasure This episode was recorded on October 19th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.